Hey guys, welcome back to Unmapped, the true stories of expatriates and travelers. Unmapped is a podcast that looks into the life of expatriates, why we choose to live abroad, and the journey of starting from zero in a foreign environment. Today, we are telling the story of Catherine. Catherine is a British girl who decided to move to France with her French boyfriend Jonathan when Brexit happened, and also found out that she was about to become a mother. For me, it's a fascinating story because having watched the Brexit play out, I never imagined how this historical event can alter a young couple's life, and also the life of their son. Evan, who will be born within this turbulent period of change for Catherine and Jonathan. I'm Catherine. I'm 34, and I'm from England,、um, from a city called Bristol.、Um, I'm a graphic designer, and I studied. In Cornwall, which is beautiful part of the world, and、um, I then moved to London when I was 18 and got my first design job. I've lived in London for I think like 12 years, and I moved to Paris two years ago, or not Paris actually, just outside of Paris. That's important.、Um, and I live with my boyfriend Jonathan and our 20-month-old son Evan. I've never really been a girly girl. Like I, I don't really like shopping or gossiping. Or I'm six foot tall,、um, and I stopped growing when I was thirteen. So I was taller than all of the boys and all of the girls. I was really good at football. I was the quickest sprinter, and I wasn't pretty. <laughs> I had really bad teeth. I was very skinny, very lanky. I think if you'd Asked me twenty years ago, so when I was a teenager, I probably would have said no. I didn't want children. And then, if you'd asked me ten years ago, I would have said that I think probably I do. And I think,、um, but I always had the attitude of、um, I would like to have children, but if I couldn't for whatever reason, it wasn't going to be the thing that defined me. Like I could find happiness in life without that. This was、um, 2016. Jonathan's grandfather、um, passed away, and conversation quickly turned to kind of the next steps. So, his grandmother, who's in her 90s, she wasn't very well, so she wasn't well enough to live on her own. So she would have to move into like a retirement home here,、um, but there was like a long wait list for that. And then, because they had a, a bigger house,、um, Patrick, Jonathan's dad, was going to move into their house, and had said, and had said to Jonathan, "You and Catherine can live in my house, you know, my old house."、Um, so yes, that's how it all came about. And then it was a few more years, and then it was just a nice option. It wasn't something we really discussed that much. It was like, oh, like maybe we could do that, but. It's this waiting list for the retirement home anyway, so it's not going to happen immediately. 
and then um, Brexit happened. When the result came in, the two of us, me and Jonathan, were on holiday in Lisbon. And um, I remember like the result came in, I think about five o'clock in the morning and I turned over in bed and he was up reading the news and he just turned to me and was like, we're out. Um, and then watching and then just feeling devastated, like didn't go back to sleep. And then turning the TV on and watching um, just the, the reporting of it. Um, and watching, like, I remember watching Nigel Farage, who was the, the, the leader of the, the campaign to leave, um, basically talking himself out of all of the promises that he'd made in the campaign. Um, and then watching David Cameron quit. And I, I'm not like a, particularly a David Cameron fan, but that felt just like, oh, fuck, like the world's falling apart. Like our leaders are just disappearing now. Um, no one knows what this is going to look like. No one knows what's going to happen you know, all of the feelings about well, what does this mean for me? Like, what does this mean for the things that I pride myself on being English about? So yeah, it's it was really horrible. Yeah, really, really horrible. My boyfriend, Jonathan, he, he, took, it, he took it really badly too. He'd lived in London for, I think, maybe six years at this point. And he's like, oh, so am I not welcome then? Or, and so he, he just suddenly felt different about the country country that he'd been living in. It was really shocking. And we were we were on holiday in Lisbon and the morning was a complete write-off. We just spent the whole morning just aimlessly walking around the, the, the streets trying to find somewhere to go for breakfast and just not being able to focus because we were just so distracted. I guess it's like a loss, like almost like someone had died or something. We ended up just sitting down for a drink. I, almost to break the ice, it was like, well, we have an option. We don't have to be in the UK. We can, we can go to France. And, and then for the first time ever, we're actually talking seriously about the practicalities of it and what would be involved and, you know, what we'd sacrifice and what we'd get. And, and it was yeah, the first time we, pro we properly spoke about it. Um, and I think it was that day that it'd gone from a kind of an idea to, yeah, we might actually do this. Um, and then from then on, I think it just was, cemented in our minds even more. When we gave the two months notice on our flat and we gave, and I had quit my, my job that I was working in, um, I didn't sleep. Like I was just like, oh, I've got to learn French. I've got to like make all new friends. I've got to find work. I'm like basically restarting my career in my thirties. Like, in a country where I don't speak the language, this is so stupid. And like, I just was so scared about everything involved in, in moving to a new country. And it was uh, very intimidating. A week before we moved to Paris, we had started packing. I'd finished my job the day before and it was, um, bank holiday it was an Easter bank holiday Friday um, and I met up with a friend for lunch and I was kind of like hmm I'm gonna take a pregnancy test so we had a, a tiny little um, I think it was like a 30 meter square um, flat um, and it was all kind of open plan slim long kind of flat I walked past him in the living room went to the bathroom did the test it's like oh shit okay okay this is a thing like this you know big thing to deal with now 
and I walked out and Jonathan was there just like in his like um, gym shorts hanging up the laundry and I was like um I need to talk to you and he was like mm-hmm okay and he was it was I could tell he was a bit off already I was like okay um so I'm pregnant he's like okay and just carried on hanging up the laundry and I was like uh do you want to do you want to talk about this and he's like uh yeah yeah let me just let me just do this and just he because he knew he knew when I he knew when I said I needed to talk he was like oh no I know I know this is a an adult moment a grown-up thing um uh found out I was pregnant and it was just like this is the worst possible timing because if I'd found out I was pregnant two months earlier I think we would have just been like let's stay you know let's do the hospital system here I know how it works here I speak the language we have somewhere we can live we've got family like my family you know obviously were there I think we would have stayed for at least another year um but we didn't have anywhere to live so we were we were effectively neither of us had jobs we didn't have anywhere to live so the only place we had to live was in France so yeah it was um I know that you have to be resident in France for three months before you get healthcare and obviously I wasn't gonna I was gonna need it immediately I wasn't gonna I wasn't in a position to wait so um yeah it just really felt like absolutely the worst timing it was just really overwhelming it was lots of sitting around in silence just trying to think of like how does this work how is life going to be different um I spent months before our move not sleeping because I was worried about, well, I have to learn French and I have to make new friends and I have to find a job. And um, I like to be able to fix things. I'm a bit of a control freak. So I like to feel like in control of my life. And I think that was the source of all of my stress. But then when I found out I was pregnant and that neither of us had jobs and yeah, I have to get healthcare and I don't speak French and all these things. Um, after the initial stress and like just general feeling of being overwhelmed I actually started sleeping better because somehow even though my problems got so much bigger um it was almost easier because it was like okay I just have to be superwoman now somehow my problems got bigger but smaller at the same time too my pregnancy is really I think it's going to sound really sad. Probably was a bit sad. Um, was living was in my house in the suburbs, so my partner would have gone to work. I'd be here on my own. I didn't have any friends in France at all then. My French actually still, but even then was really bad. Um, I hated having to do anything or to have to interact with anybody because I felt so insecure about my French. So I would try not to leave the house so I would very rarely leave the house um I would you know like eat toast for lunch rather than go to the shops and buy food for lunch it's just just feeling I guess um vulnerable because I didn't know how things worked I didn't know the language obviously um and I didn't have anything anywhere really to go so I had a really bizarre birth as well and I got to the hospital um, and they said to me, we've only got one anaesthetist on duty tonight and we have lots of women in. So 
if you want to have it um, at all, you should probably have it now, like register yourself for it now. So I had it and it was far too strong and I couldn't feel anything. I didn't have, I had, I had the, a completely pain-free birth. I didn't feel anything at all. Um, I had to, the doctors had to help me with um, like a, a ventouse to get the baby out. Um, I was napping, I watched some TV, I was goofing around with Jonathan. I was relaxed, he was a bit stressed, but I was relaxed. Um, yeah, it was, it was completely fine. And then, and then it was almost like shocking when I saw the baby. It was like, oh, wow, okay, there's a baby in the room now. And I guess shocking in the sense that, yes, I had had this like numb, like literally numb pregnancy, but I'd had the numb birth. But I'd also had this kind of numb pregnancy as well. Like it was, it wasn't something I was really, I don't know, like, um, pro I don't know, I was something that was happening to me as opposed to something that was, I was involved in, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was like my first reaction to seeing my son was like, oh, like shock, like, oh, there's a, there's a baby now. <laughs> and then of course, like you just feel like the overwhelming kind of emotions and everything. Um, but yeah, it was very strange. So yeah, my first reaction, I just remember seeing like his back, like literally as they're taking him out of me, I won't get too graphic, um, and just being like, oh my God, that's a person, like there's a baby here. And then they, they put the baby on your chest and um, and then that's, yeah, that's like when it all felt real, I mean, obviously it felt real then. Um, and, you know, lots of tears and, and I, I, you know, like every parent, I, I, I thought he was the most beautiful baby. Um, and I tried to be objective, but I think he actually is the most beautiful baby. Um, and, um, um, and then I remember Jonathan had to leave because the visitors weren't allowed to stay overnight. Um, and just being in this hospital in Argentoy, surrounded by French, people trying to give me instructions and me just being like, oh, we oui, like, but not having a clue what they're saying. Um, and I just was so, so surreal. Um, and, but then I had this little person next to me as well. Um, it was sort of like this feeling of being incredibly lonely, but also knowing that I'm never going to be alone. I feel sad. I feel sad that it wasn't, that it was just a problem that like, you know, my, my son, my son's sort of announcement to the world was just a problem to be solved and not something I could just, I could just simply celebrate. Um, that makes me feel sad. Um, like he's, he's my son, uh, he's my baby, but he's also my, my friend. He's also my sidekick. Um, and we're both new to life in France and we're experiencing it together. Like we are figuring it out together as we go. I'm his mum and I'm going to tell him what to do and <laughs> be bossy, but also I'm new to this too and yeah, we're, we're building our, our life, the three of us together and experiencing things often for the first time together.
There's a very personal reason why I love Catherine's story. Coming from a traditional family in China, I was taught that motherhood is the final destination of a woman. I dreamed of walking down the aisle with someone and having babies of that person when I was a teenager. However, as I matured, my view on this subject changed completely. I'm 27 now, and my mom had me when she was 24. Young as she was, she was a tough woman. She went impossible distances to raise me in the best condition possible. She educated me with discipline, firmness, and resilience. Yet, the 27-year-old me today is still indecisive, careless, and childish. I could not see myself living up to the high bars of being a mom. The idea of joining this club scares me more as I approached the age where people started urging me to have children. Becoming a mother is a job that you can't resign. And I couldn't see myself coming to such an important job without knowing if I would succeed. You know what I mean? The first time I met Catherine, I could tell that she does not conform to the image that I had for a mom. I could see myself in her. She isn't in a place to be the mom who's got everything figured out. But exactly because of this. She brought so much humility and vulnerability to probably one of the hardest job on earth, being a mom. The day after my conversation with Catherine, I walked on the street, and I saw a baby girl in a trolley, who had the same lovely curly hair as her son Evan. For the first time, I did not feel intimidated by the idea of becoming a mom. It's somehow reassuring to know that sometimes there's a girl like me behind one of these trolleys, and you don't need to have some superpower to be a mom. Catherine sent me this voice note a few days after our conversation, telling me some stories of her life as a mom. I apologize that the audio quality is a bit different. Since it was recorded with her laptop. So, it was really surreal、um, and strange and lonely and confusing and exhausting. Those first few days after giving birth and being in this hospital in Argenteuil and being surrounded by French and and I was really strange as well. I was actually talking to my baby in French, which is completely stupid. I'm not really sure why I did that. I was very confused, <laughs> least of all because I barely speak French.、Um, but there was one night in particular. It was the second night he was he was here,、um, and he just wouldn't sleep. And all night I was walking up and down the corridor of the hospital with him, just singing him songs and just trying anything I could to get get him to go to sleep.、Um, and there was the nurses on the ward were absolutely amazing. They were like the sweetest, nicest, best care I could have got. And there was this one nurse in particular who I think she just took a shine to me, and she was so sweet. And she really kept saying, "Well, you know, like you can just leave him with me,、um, have some sleep,、um, come come get back and get him when you wake up."
uh, she was really, really sweet. And I was just so insistent that, no, I was going to get him to sleep. I was his mum, I was going to look after him and determined that he would sleep with me. Um, I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe it's sort of some sort of pressure to prove to myself that I was a good mum or that I could be a good mum. Um, and uh, it got to about, I think, probably 6am. And she came to me and she said, at this point, I was still walking up and down the, the, um, the hospital trying to get him to go to sleep in the corridors. And she came to me and she said, look, I finished my shift at seven. I only have an hour left. Why don't I take him to the nurse's office? I'll sit there with him. I'll soothe him. And you can get some sleep. You can get at least an hour of sleep. And then I will bring him back to your bedside when my shift finishes. And at this point, I was just absolutely exhausted. I think in the last sort of 36 hours, no, more than that, 48 hours, I'd had maybe like, you know, five hours sleep or something. Um, and, you know, popped a person out at me. Uh, so I was very sleepy. And at this point, I just thought, okay, yes, you know, it's fine. So I um, quite reluctantly gave him over to her to sort of sit with him for the next hour and then about 20 minutes later after going back to my bed and just not being able to sleep I went back to the nurse's office and neither of them were there um, which is fine it wasn't that wasn't a worry or anything but I just sat there waiting for her to come back with um, Evan in the in the little rolly bed um, and this other nurse arrived and she's like, oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> Is everything okay? Um, and I just broke down in tears. At this point, the nurse who had Evan came back as well. And she's like, everything's fine, don't worry. You've got nothing to worry about, just go and sleep. He doesn't need you right now. We're looking after him, it's fine, you can sleep. And I just cried and I was like, but I need him. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't sleep without him. Like, I, I needed him as much as he needed me, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's strange to, to feel that so, so quickly. And so, yeah, the other thing um, that I've been thinking about since we've been talking is about the relationship that the two of us have, and actually the three of us have, um, myself, Jonathan and Evan and this family that we've made. And, um, you know, it's funny, we, we sing him songs to bed every night. We don't sing him any lullabies. We sing him just soothing songs that we like. Um, but it occurred to me that there are two songs in particular that we sing, which actually have quite relevant messages in them. Um, one of them is a Beautiful Boy by John Lennon. And it's got this famous lyric which goes life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans um, and then I sing a song and um, it's actually by a comedian um, composer called Tim Minchin and it's called not perfect and the whole song is about how something can be special because it's yours whilst being flawed and it's strange, really, because after giving birth and being wheeled 
out of the delivery room up to the um, the maternity unit, I just spontaneously started singing the song in the in in my bed to him as I was being wheeled along. Um, it's not something I listen to a lot. Um, I don't know why it came to my mind, but it just obviously it just felt right in the moment. Maybe we don't have to be a super mom. Maybe we can be just a human. We are already born with the most important gift to be a mom, to love. As long as we can still love, we have already got the most precious thing to offer to our children. This is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends or review it wherever you are listening. It will mean a lot for my small show. You can also visit our Facebook page for some photos of Catherine and her family. Until next time, take care and just be human. Make